Hi everyone, hope you're staying safe out there. This is part two of the conversation that Garrett and I had with Mitch Green and Eric Dean, uh, economists. Uh, we're talking about modern monetary theory, criticisms of there, also kind of comparing and contrasting it with both the crappy stimulus thing that's going on right now, but also New Deal, uh, Keynesian stuff that they did way back when. This whole conversation couldn't be, was unlocked early for patrons at patreon.com slash giving the mic and just want to thank you for your support and with that on with the show oh yes and also uh, if you uh, because everyone's locked down right now feel free to uh, share the show with friends or anybody else who'd be interested in finding out more about uh, our particular kind of hijinks and doing stuff some of the criticisms of it from I mean even like some of like the more like leftier Marxistier like folks so I see some I mean or, or at least what are the more cre- credible I guess uh, criticisms of it you know Mitch probably has this uh, <laughs> better than I do uh, because all I can say is I've read uh, critique after critique from uh, heterodox economists and and you know oh. stuff on on the interwebs and uh, not one have, have I actually seen uh, that was actually both um, demonstrating a clear understanding of the, the basic arguments of MMT and uh, just not a nonsensical um, argument. I've seen a couple of that, that actually did understand MMT, but then made just completely nonsensical arguments uh, for why they still didn't like it. Uh, but Mitch, I think, uh, knows knows better the the details. Well, I, unfortunately, I do. Um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> I it, just to keep without going into the weeds too deeply, I'll just say that there are two types of critiques from the left of MMT, and one is a very academic critique, which is mostly about hurt feelings, hmm. or um, which well that that that's me editor editorializing. Um, tutorializing, uh, but I think it's it's essentially the argument can be distilled to this: like there's nothing new in modern monetary theory. So why are you creating a new school of thought? This is just post-Keynesian economics. So that's one critique, mm. right? But that's not what you guys are out there reading on Twitter because those guys are not on Twitter doing their shit. This is stuff being published in the same two or three academic journals that are being read by the same twelve people, um, and no one cares, you know. Uh, somebody someday well actually I'm not an academic economist anymore so it doesn't really fucking matter what I say and so you know you know who you are if you're listening to this you know I'm talking about you it doesn't matter because I'm not going up for tenure um, <laughs> but what but you know and so the, but there are some interesting intellectual disagreements there right uh, I obviously think that my side is winning that fight I think that there's some good faith and some bad faith arguments there um, what you guys are thinking about more sort of the this um, the Twitter sphere, you've got like your your Doug Henwoods and your kind of Jacobin crowd and those types, Matt Brunig and, and the like. Uh, and they don't like modern monetary theory for a number of reasons, mostly political. Uh, Doug Henwood is, seem, is seemingly a monetarist. Okay, he believes in a hard money theory uh, of of, of monetary uh, of monetary theory and banking. 
he does not think that uh, he does not accept the state theory of money. Um, he thinks that uh, he's closer to Milton Friedman on monetary theory than he is Keynes. Okay, uh, uh, and so he thinks that if the if if the federal government runs too large of a deficit, you'll cause inflation, uh, you'll undermine your political objectives, and so to finance the um, to finance you know social democracy. You need to tax the rich very heavily, and you also, and and in his own words, you need to tax uh, the middle class. Okay, so you need tax, tax, tax uh, in order to do the things you want to do. Um, that also, I think, can be reduced to hurt feelings. Okay, Henwood's been a guy who's been on the radio and been writing for for decades, and he's a good Marxist in many regards. Uh, yeah, he's but the, uh, he's the Marxist that know that understands bourgeois economics, right? Well, he's so, the Marcus that thought he did. Right, I know. I, I, yeah. I can't stand Doug Henwood. I just, I just uh, full disclosure, I can't fucking stand him. <laughs> yeah. Some of his well, uh, there's, some of his interviews there's a are okay. Rank of people who also share your opinion. Oh, praise be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you've got a very clever. You know, Matt Burning is very clever. Writes some. Uh, he, he, some of the stuff he writes is is very good. I think he's really good on welfare policy. Uh, I think he's really good at understanding uh, uh, the sort of welfare state. Okay, I, I'm not going to pick that fight with him. But he's not a good faith actor when it comes to interpreting and repackaging and presenting the views of modern monetary theory to the people that follow Matt Brennan. Mm-hmm. And so he he'll do he'll you know and and this is turning into a flame fest against Matt. It's not what I wanted to do, but I will say that um, he's got more followers than I do. That's for sure. Uh, you guys have followers? I've got like <laughs> like nine hundred and sixteen followers on Twitter. That's a pretty big deal, Damn. right? That's not bad. Um, <laughs> but but uh, you know he he claims to have read MMT. Uh, he claims to have uh, critiqued it. Well, he has critiqued it. Um, but his, I think his big bone to pick is the job guarantee. Uh, Matt Brunig fundamentally does not like work. He does not think that work is a thing that is a virtue. Um, he, uh, and so he doesn't, he doesn't like any framework of analysis that has, um, labor as a necessary obligation that members of society need to partake in as, as a virtuous, uh, political framework. And so, um, and I'm, you know, it's not clear to me what he thinks about whether um, money is scarce or not. I doubt he does. But uh, but anyway, uh, he has fought a bitter battle. He's fighting a bitter battle against the sort of chief proponents of MMT, particularly on the question of the job guarantee, which is a central plank of MMT. Um, and, and we can come back to the job guarantee and why that's important, but uh, he's he will sort of use his own language to describe what the policy proposal is. So I'll give you an example. Pavlina Cherneva, a tenured professor at Bard College, prolific author, chief architect of MMT, and probably one of the most important people writing about um, labor and, and the possibilities of sort of um, a care economy in a sort of MMT framework. Uh, she argues for a job guarantee, and he will argue against her and use her language and say it's workfare. And so he will just keep calling it workfare, even though they've, they've had an argument, they've had a debate, they've talked about why it's not workfare. Hey, why it's uh, not help, like me, help me out with the meaning of the term workfare. I've never yeah. heard that before. So workfare is like, um, it's basically welfare conditioned upon whether or not you are uh, oh, looking for a job or you are doing some sort of bullshit job thing for your welfare. So it's so a per- means-tested 
uh, punitive, poor shaming policy. Yeah, uh, popular in the UK. And Brunig uh, equates her position with workfare. Yeah, and it's a it's a really bad faith um, argument uh, argumentation strategy because that's um, that's clearly not what she's advocating. She's distinguished in writing. Uh, how it's not work fair and how it's different than work fair uh, and how it's you can you can trace the job calls for a job guarantee to the civil rights movement. You can trace the, the calls for the job guarantee to uh, an emancipatory labor program, um, a, a demand to participate in social reproduction and so on and so forth. OK, uh, Bruding doesn't recognize that. It doesn't recognize that tradition. And he thinks that anyone who's sort of arguing in favor of a job guarantee is somehow uh, against workers, which is absurd. So anyway, I, now, I realize now I'm just rambling and picking apart all the reasons why I don't like Matt Brunick, but <laughs> but he's very influential on the left, uh, and he's got a pretty big Patreon set, and he writes stuff that people care about, and he's kind of a shitty uh, interlocutor, if you will, when it comes to MMT. I was on his Patreon for a while just uh, until I had to scale back a lot of um, a lot of my, yeah. uh, my my patronage due to unemployment. Yeah, yeah, that's Okay, and again, there's some stuff he writes that I like. So you know, yeah, I think it's like uh, yeah, I think it's stuff like stuff. yeah, like, or stuff like like all the stuff that his group is doing like around like you know, like public housing is is uh, is good and or critical. So at least it gets the ideas out yeah, there. I mean, and it's nice that he's doing something. Like that shows that the left can do sort of policy work, you know, and get it out to somewhat of a wide audience. Like I, I like the the at least in, in principle what he's doing, but I, I I don't I guess I don't recall I've I haven't been paying attention to Matt Brunig very much what he's been up to lately. He, he they'll come out with these reports every once in a while, right? These sort of like uh, yeah, the yeah. Pe- people's uh, policy project. I think it is. Yeah, these papers, yeah, these PDFs that are at least um, yeah. Seem like some of them are seem like pretty good, you know. Uh, seem like pretty good starts. Um, what time is it? it is. So could I? Um, What's up? Okay. I, I I can't speak to any of that because I, I know there's a lot of conversations going on and on the internet's uh, with MMT that I honestly just don't follow. Uh, Probably safer that way. But I yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's safer for your uh, sanity. Um, but you know, my thinking on this is um, that you know. Particular policies aside, and, and I think Mitch is right to say that you know jo- the job guarantee is a is a central uh, plank of MMT. Uh, some of the basic arguments, the notion that that um, that you know there is no financial constraint to the to federal spending in dollars, um, are are true regardless of whether you know a job guarantee would would be workfare or uh, not. And I think it's it's important to kind of uh, to accept that because kind of to go back to what I was saying before, if we're looking right now at a stimulus that is, that is going to significantly ratchet up, uh, the number of, of businesses that are considered, uh, in one way or another too big to fail, uh, and just to be recapitalized in one, in one way or another. And I'm not saying, uh, I don't want to be, you know, hyperbolic in that regard, but, uh, if that is the kind of ideological trend of that, uh, it's going to be important for everybody to recognize that there is not going to be a downside for the federal government uh, to just creating massive money uh, to keep businesses uh, solvent. 
uh, that could just be done and we could just move on from there. Um, so, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, uh, somebody could hypothetically have said, well, yeah, the government's going to going to find out why it can't just bail out the big banks to the tune of, you know, however much hundreds of billions or trillions, if you include lend, uh, lending uh, and that the government's going to find out that there's a natural constraint against its ability to do that. Uh, if you were saying that 10 years ago, at this point, you should have recognized there wasn't the government could, yep. in essence, I, I and everybody yell at me for saying this, but in essence, use the basic uh, the basic understanding of government finances uh, from MMT could use that to what would be very, let's say, pro capitalist um, ends without without any natural kind of backlash. Save you know the people, save pitchforks uh, and guillotines. So I think that's that's worth thinking about too. Uh, in the kind of context of policy generally. Mm. Right. Yeah, and that's a good good thing to bring back into play here because, um, again, uh, and, and you know, listeners, do tune in uh, and, and, and keep your eye trained on the headlines that will happen once we get through this crisis because I swear to God, as soon as this is over, you're going to see the consensus view go back to saying you can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. So... Six weeks ago, it was you can't afford, you know, you've got Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders on a debate stage, and you got Joe Biden saying, oh, your plan's going to cost so many trillions of dollars. How are you going to pay for that? And, you know, it doesn't matter anymore because we're in the middle of it, and we are creating trillions of dollars out of thin air to just keep the thing from falling apart. Um, we are creating potentially assurances to private equity. Firms to keep the thing from falling apart, which is which which just demonstrates that um, that anything is technically possible is financially feasible, essentially, mm-hmm. at, at the federal level. Um, you know, and and folks for the last decade, people have been saying like, as Eric's pointing out, this is going to come back to roost. That the federal government's going to run out of headroom, and they won't have anything ammo left to to deal with the next crisis or the fed has been keeping rates too low for too long and they won't have any headroom to deal with the next crisis. And that's just, that's a product of, of failing to keep it, keep abreast of, of, of a modern view of how, how economies actually function on a financial sense. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, is that enough on MT or what, uh, is that enough on MT? Can I ask or one more question? Sure. Uh, I mean, is part of the reason that we get the outcomes in the United States that we do is because our economy has become increasingly more reliant on finance uh, as, you know, as, as something that drives economic activity. So like, so in China where you have like, you know, a significant amount of manufacturing, well, you also don't have like a market system in the way that America does, but like, like they have a, a, a real economic substrate that actually produces wealth. You know what I mean? Value, uh, so is part of the reason we, this this expansion of what is considered like you know like um, uh, too big too big part of the too big to fail umbrella does it have something to do with the fact that our economy relies to a significant extent on finance as as a, a driver of it does is that even yeah. This might this is my this might be where me not being an economist is gets me talking gobbledygook, you know what I mean? But No, I, I think that intuition is is um 
the thing is, is the economy is not, it's not just more reliant on finance. Our, our kind of almost culture is more ideologically finance kind of biased. So, so if I, I wrote a paper on this not too long ago, um, that kind of showed where this kind of what uh, Hyman Minsky called money manager capitalism, uh, how how that evolved over the 20th century. Uh, and one of the things I, I think one of the kind of interesting markers is if you went back 100 years ago, uh, the heads of the of the larger corporations are going to be coming from industry backgrounds. They're going to have, you know, engineering backgrounds or something close to that. 50 years ago, they're going to have marketing back backgrounds, most of your CEOs, uh, and they're increasingly going to be MBA trained. But by now, most of your CEOs, if they even matter compared to the CFO, are going to have finance backgrounds. So yeah. that's so it's not just Wall Street. It's this broader notion that's that finance, which I, I think you could almost boil down to the general idea of if I can make uh, an investment uh, or do anything really that makes me money, uh, then then that's good. And that's that's how things uh, ought to be uh, that that imbues, I think, this country culturally uh, in a very fundamental way. I mean, China has seen a, a rapid kind of rise of its own financial sector with speculative bubbles galore. Uh, but I and I don't claim to know a whole lot about China. They can still do things differently if for no other reason than they still have people who know how to build stuff. Right. Um, mm -hmm. We increasingly we just think finance is, is everything in a very general sense. Maybe that's too philosophical, but well, David Harvey was saying that um, he said that like to find the sort of people that can run a factory in China, for example, um, you could fill a few, a few football stadiums of, of Chinese people that could do that. You might be able to get a hundred in a room in the United States. And, and, and I, and, and he was trying to point to that fundamental, um, difference in how we view what we're doing to make the economy work, I get. Yeah. If, if David Harvey was on this call, I would push back on that a little bit. <laughs> and I would say that um, I would venture to guess that if push came to shove, the rank-and-file workers of a General Motors factory could figure the job out if you asked him to do it. I bet you're right. Uh, and, I you know, I think that we actually have a pretty good tradition in the United States of, like, worker cooperatives and, like, sort of worker-controlled enterprises. But that's – I don't need to drag us through my pet projects – but um, <laughs> but I mean, but 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 Harvey's point is probably on point. Like if 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 the criterion is that, look, if we're going to measure it in terms of like professional managerial class people, then those re those ratios matter. If we're going to change our ownership structures and control structures, then we might have like open like broader perspectives. He might even agree with me on that point. Mm -hmm. Right. And actually, you know, if I, I'm I'm sounding like a broken record at this point, but. If you had a well-managed, medium-sized manufacturing enterprise today and you paid your workers well and turned the profits, uh, you'd probably get bought, bought out by a private equities firm and, and sucked dry within a few years. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I don't <laughs> like it, but, I, but it's true. <laughs> anyway, um, I heard stories like that uh, about uh, Boeing, some of Boeing's software engineers mm -hmm. uh, complaining for years prior to the big... Uh, issue with the software failing and causing those crashes. It's kind of secondhand, thirdhand stories I've heard, but 
um, similar problems, not listening to the, the people actually on the ground. Yeah, that's um fun hierarchy system. And uh, and at one point, yeah, it's like being in that hierarchy and you realize that ma- uh, middle management, upper management culture is this entirely other ecosystem um, f- with its own, I don't know, its own like set, its own pantheon of phantoms and uh and uh and uh goals that's trying to chase you know to the point that you know it's almost like completely antithetical to what they are ostensibly there to do but how are you guys it's got its its own system of values but but it is yeah it is the lean in of course is 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 an example of it just this they have this it's almost like a and i think last time i talked to y'all i brought up this notion of like they're part of this priestly class you know what i mean yeah uh and and if you're not in it, you don't understand how it works, you know? Mm-hmm. How are you guys feeling? Good. Like, did you want to talk about, like, parallels to the Great Depression, or do you want to try to put a pin in it, or what? Uh, if we, if you're feeling up for doing for handling one more topic, I'd say sure. I mean, might I as well. We're, the facilities real quick. Yeah, I need, an, I need another beer. And I'll just come back. Or, or yeah, or we could just break. take another five-minute break or something. Yeah. First, we are getting opportunity of employment to a quarter of a million of the unemployed especially the young men who have dependents, let them go into forestry and flood prevention work. That is a big task because it means feeding and clothing and caring for nearly twice as many men as we have in the regular army itself. And in creating this civilian conservation corps, we are killing two birds with one stone. We are clearly enhancing the value of our natural resources, and at the same time we are relieving an appreciable amount of actual distress. This great group of men, young men, have entered upon their work on a purely voluntary basis. No military training is involved. And we are conserving not only our natural resources, but also our human resources. One of the great values to this work is the fact that it is direct and requires the intervention of very little machinery. How you holding that, Mitch? Uh, pretty good. I'm, I'm fucking damn ready to be done with this shit. Um, yeah. I'm taking a drink and whiskey again, so that's all right. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't want... By the way, is I, I never asked, is... Are they going to just do the audio on this, or is this going to be a video podcast thing? I think it's just audio. Oh, well, shit. Why am I all worried about... I got a special light, because my camera sucks. I got a special light to light my face, and I'm all uh, worried about... I haven't showered in two days, so I'm like, I don't <laughs> fucking care. But yeah, man, I, I like shaved for this shit. Fucking, I, oh, you did? I fucking... Uh, I, haven't, I haven't trimmed my beard in, like, you know, weeks. Got, there's no time, so it doesn't... There's no way of knowing how long it's been, but yeah, yeah. I found it um, tedious. Yeah, I finally sh- I finally shaved the first time in like two or three weeks a few days ago. Yeah, Jeremy. So this is this is not you're not actually recording the video. No, no, I'm just gonna, oh, shit. No, I'm just I'm just doing. No, this is just audio. I'm always. Uh, I thought about just to post the video, but like, nah. It's it's uh, uh, my uh, my. I mean. My little uh, my little webcam is like a little Logitech uh, notebook camera from like 2006 that that yeah. barely um, barely has is you know barely well here yeah that barely is like 10 frames a second it's it's one of the things that I've noticed is uh, that um, this you know the skyrocketing demand for webcams everywhere to the point where people are now like you know found, finding theirs that they've stored in a box in a drawer somewhere for several years and like well shit here just post it on Craigslist for like a hundred bucks you know here I'm not using it you guys want it really yeah yeah there's a lot of like all of the just used uh, used hardware for uh, like twice the going value yeah hey you know that that reminds me Mitch what do you think 
uh, I've got this theory that they're going to do this bailout in a way that just loads everybody down with like, I don't know, three or six months of debt with no income to back it up. Like rent? Yeah, like rent. But I also wonder like, okay, so the bars, you know, they, they've got uh, – They've got access to loans, but they don't, and they, you know, it's forbearance on loans and shit. Um, but there's no, there's no like grants. And uh, there are grants. So the SBA, so part of phase four of the stimulus was like a pretty hefty chunk of small business administration loans. Um, but, but it was like poorly executed and it was like sort of like first come, first serve. Um, so if you're like well connected, you can get access to this, and you can apply for a grant through that. And essentially, the way it works is as long as you maintain 75% of your payroll, yeah. then you don't have to pay it back. So it's essentially a loan on like the terms are basically no carrying cost, mm-hmm. and then if you if you use the proceeds of the loan or through the loan period or through either some sort of arbitrary accounting period, you um, maintain 75% of pre pre crisis payrolls. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, then that's effectively a grant. That's right. I did see that that they were that they'd yeah. write off the loans on that. But the issue is that it's poorly executed, and yeah. there's a, a fucking finite pot of money, and so um, and you know rather than just like just like Treasury direct lending or whatever, um, or you know there's no accounts of the Fed for you know unless you're an intermediate bank you don't you don't get to, get to do that. But but because they decided to go through the a fucking network of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, member banks of the Fed, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, and commercial banks. Then, um, you know, they're just they, they're not staffed up. Their their staff is also teleworking or on furlough or whatever. It's like they yeah. can't just they just can't execute. And so um, you got people just like waiting in line, yeah. essentially for this. Um, so I th- I feel like if you're like well connected. And, and by the way, just like anything that, that we do through any fiscal tax adjustment or whatever kind of program that we do, it's always very Byzantine. It's never clean or straightforward or anything like that. And so, like, there's a lot of confusion. So if you're, like, a small, like, proprietor or, like, you own a bar in town, like, how the fuck are you going to navigate? Yeah. Essentially, you, you need, like, a you need like a financial attorney, like a a legal scholar of finance on retainer to be able to make sure that you've got access to all this in a timely fashion. That's just not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Oh, Mitch, real so, quick, can you, Mitch, can you move your uh, your mic to your closer to your mouth a little bit? Is that is that better? I think so. Yeah, it's just it's because like it's we're getting we're getting some like closet we're getting like closet sound a little bit like like your, uh, your, it's anyway. like um it's it doesn't articulate that way. Oh, but okay. I can just hold it that way. Oh, I want you know not put yourself out, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, how's mine sound? Anyways, you sound fine. Yeah. Really? Uh, this this is like a twenty year old laptop. Well, it's probably not twenty years old, but it's probably a ten year old laptop, and I I have no other webcam, uh, so I'm I'm happy this one still works. Well, yeah, it shot out a while back, and I put Linux on it, and I'm I'm happy that Linux is working. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't play video games, I would never use Windows. Well, that's that's the kicker. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Garrett interrupted you. What were you going to say? Um, oh. Well, it's just it's just one of those things about how. You know the people, the people uh, who need the help the most are subjected to the greatest amount of red tape. Uh, whereas those for whom, like they literally have like a cadre, uh, a fucking phalanx of lawyers to deal with things like this, mm-hmm. are just handed 
the the resource, you know, the 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 asset, and it's just boy. If I didn't know they were saying, it seemed like it was almost designed to be that way. It's almost yeah. Like, it's almost like a it's almost like a certain class structure is being reproduced. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that uh, seems very conspiratorial. Yeah, <laughs> that couldn't. Oh, yeah, that, that's madness. Madness talking. I mean, that was a, there was a there was AOC. I saw a thing on Facebook or something. It was AOC had said something about this that was you know MMT relevant too. It was like, and it goes back to the how do you pay for it thing, right? They were like, it was something to the effect of um, the money was always there. It was an issue of you know who deserves to get it, um, which is exactly what Mitch was saying. Like right. once. Once these businesses are back working, you know, back um, solvents again, uh, it's going to go back to we can't afford this shit. Oh, and actually, you know, something worth noting there is because um, I saw this in one or two like legitimate heterodox economists arguing against MMT um, came out and said, well, you know, we're, we're constrained on spending. But not as constrained as, as you know, the monetarists think, or not as constrained as my Republican colleagues think, or you know, whatever that is. Uh, but you see, the problem is we ran these deficits for the war, and I've heard that argument. Uh, it's a, it's a it's kind of a boomer argument. Uh, well, we you're right that we could have afforded health care, but unfortunately. Uh, the you know the Republican Party already spent the health care money on a war, and I'm anti-war, so see, I'm not the bad guy here. Which is another thing I guarantee you're going to hear that once this all this shit blows over, uh, they're going to be like, well, you know, we could have done health care. You're right, but it cost us so much money to deal with the coronavirus that there's just no way there's any money left. Look, how many times is this? argument need to be repeated in different applications over how many decades of my adult life before people take to the streets with pitchforks and Molotov cocktails. Like, I'm not suggesting that's what anyone should do. Maybe I, don't I don't know. Who knows? Molotov cocktail is a cocktail. It's that you're, it's, Mitch yeah. is not referring to the burning uh, bottle of gasoline. He's no, 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 actually no, gin and uh, vodka. Yeah, parody satire. Right, yeah. <laughs> On fire. Yeah, I'll surrender. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, but, but, but in all seriousness, it's like, it's exactly going to be what happens. Like they are literally going to say that as soon as this is fucking over. No doubt. I will, there should be a predicted prediction market up on whether or not, like, yep. what's the over under, right? Yeah. Like, some, <laughs> some like, I, yeah, some Irish, uh, some Irish betting site on it. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Irish betting sites, should we get into do dip into a little bit of history just for some compare and contrast? Because we've talked about uh, the current stimulus measures and we talked about MMT. Now, can we talk about like some more um, like slightly different bit of theory and a lot more di- different bit of history? But let's a little scale back to an earlier uh, earlier massive. Um, world issue and just talk about like like the depression and Keynesianism and kind of what the new and uh, new deal programs like what they you know how did they did you know how and why did they address it the way they did if you uh, if you could uh, Eric you want to start us off <laughs> I can do yeah. it as well it doesn't matter Mitch you're probably better at this than I am because I'm not uh, I'm not historically a good person for recounting the history whereas Mitch very well is Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's. I guess I'll start us off. Um, <laughs> uh, so the Great Depression was a very 
um, sharp and, and, and deep and, and long drawn out, like, decline in, in like, the macro economy. Okay, so for the listeners out there who might be struggling um, uh, to distinguish, like, the Great Depression from maybe, like, a bout of depression you might have personally, like, let me just explain that it is essentially just, like, a, a very deep recession uh, from which it doesn't seem like there's any hope of recovery. Um, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And so in the 1930s in the United States, we found ourselves in this situation, and the policy response is not a single one-shot thing. Uh, I think that's probably the most important aspect of what the Great Depression period taught us, um, was that you actually had people trying a lot of different stuff. Uh, and, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he was elected, was at 33, Um yeah, March of thirty three as he got in office. Yeah, so also, almost got uh, assassin- almost got he got someone took a shot at him like the month before he got in too. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, that. You know, like he didn't go into that with like Keynesian economics on the mind. I mean, there wasn't really Keynesian economics yet per se. Uh, the general theory is published in thirty six, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you already had those ideas in the air. Uh, um, People were talking about the, the role of like federal spending as a potential uh, countervailing force. You have a letter, a famous letter from Keynes to, to FDR uh, during the Great Depression, um, sort of outlining some some you know some measures that you can take to sort of bring employment back up. But the essential the essential response was to try everything under the sun. Um, and there was a lot of really interesting thinkers politicians and economists were in that cabinet or close to that cabinet who kind of understood how the economic system was structured, uh, had a very empirical view, and had a monetary view of things. Mm. And so the, the, the general idea was like, let's create agencies that become vessels to spend dollars from the treasury, get the dollars into the economy, whether those dollars are used to shore up um, and guarantee sort of price supports for the agricultural sector, you have the Agricultural Adjustment Act. Um, you have an alphabet soup, to to sort of abuse the term, um, of of agencies and different policy proposals that were tried and tested throughout the 1930s. Uh, the most notable and the ones we remember the most are the Civilian Conservation Corps and the Works Progress Administration, which were direct job creation programs. Right. Uh, because essentially, at, at the end of the day, what the New Dealers recognized, what Roosevelt recognized was that if you want to solve unemployment, which was the problem, really, that's the primary problem, everything else was derivative of the unemployment problem, um, was the simplest way to do it was simply to hire the unemployed. <laughs> I mean, it's it seems laughable now to, to think of it as that simple, but like in the 1930s, people were not setting up these elaborate means-tested, um, you know, sort of, Byzantine Rube Goldberg mechanisms of public-private partnerships creating all sorts of incentive structures and blah, 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 stuff you'd see come out of like a, a, a sort of beta test of Pete Buttigieg's website uh, <laughs> in earlier stages of like putting his feelers out for whatever. Um, they're just like, no, let's just let's just go cr- hire some people who are unemployed, uh, anyone willing to work for the wage. Uh, and we'll just go out and, and build some trails. Uh, we'll do we'll do some public works projects. We'll write books. We'll take oral histories of um, descendants of, of former slaves and, and, and the like. Um, and so they just did everything they could. Yeah. And some of it was successful. Some of it was not successful. Sometimes they 
they ended the programs too soon or try to like raise taxes and cut spending too soon and cause the sort of double dip, if you will. And it wasn't really until we started massively, massively spending money into the economy for World War II that you really, really found your way out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, it was that's that was the proving ground for Keynesian economics, I guess, or Keynesian policy. I, would you would you agree with that statement, Eric? Or my yeah, I think that covered it very well. Uh, I mean, because I know the the ideas for comparison here. Um, the general treatment of the depression in the 30s was that it was just a sustained lack of demand, and I mean the yeah. kind of the crux of of Keynes's argument ultimately was. Um, there's no reason to think businesses are going to create enough investment demand to sustain an economy at full employment, um, which is where, of course, things differ um, here. We don't have a lack of demand, although we'll, we'll find out in six months if, if we are going to have a sustained lack of demand. Uh, at this point, we just we don't have demand or supply. The, the whole country is shut down. Um, like I said, though, after we stop being shut down, we are going to have a sustained lack of demand if uh, we don't correct for that. Yeah. So that was effectively um, what his what like what his argument boiled down to. Keynes's. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah Keynes basically says that like it's only under very special and uh, very coincidental conditions that you get a resting place for the economy that's consistent with full employment. But, but in general, that's not the case. And, in, and what we're seeing, what you would see in the Great Depression is that you have the economy settling into a trough, a semi-stable equilibrium, if you will, of really high unemployment. So when uh, when the when the big the big spending that really did the work, as you're saying, to basically to do the, the, the work needed to prepare for war, um, this is this is not this is not really uh, an economics question per se. It's just something that would help me when I talk to people about this. Uh, was any who was making a profit? Was anyone making a profit of the the run up to war pre, uh, prep? Were there private companies raking it in, or was it was it pretty much like the government uh, uh, making? You know, uh, is that even? No, I I understand the question you're asking, and I'm going to be careful in how I answer it. Um, I think what you're asking is like. Were anyone were there some parties like realizing windfall profits and like maybe users profits? Um, no. Okay. No, that, that's not what I'm asking. What what I'm saying is that I, I I can see a counter argument against like the sort of the sort of expansionary spending that a government could do, uh, being that well all that spending in World War II made a lot of people profit, so that was all part of a market mechanism. It wasn't part of a government spending program. That blah blah blah. You see what I'm saying? I, I okay. I do. Um, and I, I guess I would respond by saying that like um, the government. I mean, two things can be true at the same time. Like um, private private industry profited greatly through the mobilization, the the war mobilization effort. Because the government was purchasing things that only the government wanted to purchase. And it mobilized on a scale that sort of increased the capital formation uh, in an unprecedented way for a lot of private. Like the defense industry was created out of that period. Yep. It's one of the most profitable industries in the history of the the country. Um, And so you, you go back to the sort of MMT sectoral balances framework and you're like, look, 
if you're going to do massive deficit spending to procure uh, resources for the public sector for you know for the war the war effort, it's going to generate a lot of flow of dollars to the private sector. A lot of which are going to flow towards like you know private capital interest. Um, but you actually during that period of time you also had like office of price administration and, and you know you sort of had active management of the economic system in a way that was not chaotic it was not you know free markets nothing of the like yeah uh it's the closest we've gotten to a command economy i think um well i i we're, there's always a sort of central planning committee in the economy somewhere it's just that during world war ii it was very obvious who the planners were and it was very clear that it was the government yeah in in, in concert with private private sector actors yeah. you know um, i propose that um Matt Stoller, is it Stoller or Stoller? I don't know. Matt Stoller. Uh, I was just reading an article he did not too long ago, April 5th. I've got it here. Uh, Why private equity is cutting doctor pay and organizing our pandemic response. Uh, and he makes some interesting kind of comments uh, relevant to that question because he's he actually says uh, we're back to a planned economy and compares this to kind of how they were doing it um, under World War II. Uh, and noting um, that the people who are running this the show now, I and mean, you're talking people like Jared fucking Kushner, yeah. um, are are running the show. They don't know what the hell is going on uh, outside of like you know just coming from a finance uh, background. So there there are interesting parallels, but also contrasts uh, drawn there. And this article does a pretty good job of it, yeah. I think. I like Stoller, so I'll, I'll check that out. Second time as farce. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Stoller's one of these anti-monopolist guys that's interesting in that he kind of thinks that the normal state of affairs is one in which you have competition and no monopoly, and that monopolies are perversion of the normal state of affairs. Um, I don't agree with that position. Uh, and so I can sometimes be a little bristled by Matt Stoller's hysteria. Uh, yeah, Stoller sometimes gets out there. probably not Ryan. Yeah. Uh, probably not wrong in, in, in regards to what the, the sort of central point he's making in that article. Mm. Um, you know, where, where I'm where where I'm going with this larger here is that um, we live in an economic system that is that is subject to extensive and thoroughgoing planning in most aspects of the economic system, um, and it's just that the planners are not democratically elected. And they don't always plan coherently, <laughs> to say the least. So they can sometimes be in concert with each other, sometimes do harmonious things, but sometimes they, they get in each other's way. Yeah. Uh, and they, quote unquote, are the sort of captains of industry and, uh, and finance, right? Uh, and, uh, and that's just how it's been for a very long time. Most of the United, United States sort of post-big business history, right, uh, with fits and starts here and there. And so... I think what you saw, though, in the 30s and culminating World War II was a very explicit um, uh, episode where the federal government exerted its its role to plan and saying, "and I'm going, I'm the primary planner here. Everyone else takes a backseat to that," mm. which I thought was very different than what we've had since. Absolutely, yeah. Um, getting back to something, um, a slight change of topic. If uh, if you're okay with that, getting back to something you, um, Mitch, you said like very early on, um, in terms of like the need for institutions, what institutions should we have? 
Oh man, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> hey, you're the professor. Well, <laughs> obviously something that guarantees job. Yeah. So, well, gu- well, guarantees right. uh, guarantees meaningful. Uh, I'll I'll bring in my old philosophy professor Fritjof Bergman, who you know, it's not just jobs, but guarantees meaningful work because there's a big difference between uh, just a day job and work. Anyway, sorry. Well, so so to, to to root my response in what brought the question forth in the first place, I, I originally said that like institutions matter in relation to how we respond to coronavirus. Right. And I would say that we need to build structures of resiliency and right. that you need institutions to govern that and to shepherd that. So if you want to if you want to say if you want to say, look, m- money is a public utility in a sense. It is a institution that you can like sort of mobilize for the public good. Then I would say what we want is a um, you know t- take take all of the resources that the Department of Defense has, for instance, or e- even a small fraction of them, and say let's take all of that intention and institutional capacity and mobilize that in the service of creating I don't know something like a National Guard Corps. But that's a completely peaceful civilian corps. Mm-hmm. It's trained, uh, you know, it's full of EMTs and nurses and uh, infrastructure and capital equipment that can be mobilized within a moment's notice um, to set up temporary hospitals and shore up sort of any sort of normal peacetime health infrastructure. Like that's what I'm thinking about. That's an that is a structure that is an institution that's devoted to uh, resiliency structures. Um, you know, rather than say, okay, you. Your poverty draft is to go and uh, fucking uh, you know sign up for a tour in Afghanistan. Instead, you can sign up for uh, a, a tour in the, the the health corps. I don't know whatever we want to call so it. So effectively, like a first responder CC, uh, first responder yeah. CCC only like non-militarized because so we don't have to continually send the National Guard when the Mississippi floods. Right. Like I mean, there's no reason why you can't have things like that. Um, people want to participate. Right. And and so a, a federal job guarantee program can actually be a, a vehicle to sort of um, provide the, the employment guarantee for, for, for that kind of um, uh, participatory labor process. Uh, that's just that's just an idea that, that comes off the top of my head. But I mean, in a broader sense, what you want are institutions that um, align public spending priorities with um, with the whims of the sort of uh, working class. Just in a very broad sense. Yeah. Most working class people do not want to put people in cages, and they do not want uh, to, to, to line the pockets of rich people. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I can speak for most people in that regard. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. This is a very hard question. Um, I mean, the, the institutions are just the, – there's a clear trajectory of them, uh, of, their, of their kind of continuing evolution – and it's it's bad. It's it's <laughs> bad to the point of it's getting hard for me to have serious conversations without just saying fascism over and over again. Yeah, I, and, and I read, the quite literal sense of it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I read God. someone called. Uh, I read an uh, uh, a nice little essay about, and someone described neoliberal uh, economics as essentially slow motion fascism. So this drips and drabs the private sector takes over the provision of everything for a society that uh that that can make a profit 
and if it can't, it just gets sort of jettisoned. And I mean, and that's what, you know, uh, in broad strokes, that's what fascism is, right? And so we're living through this this uh, slow creep of fascism called yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, honestly, this is why we, we're sitting in a, in, a, in a country at this point. We have fewer hospital beds, as far as I understand, than we did like 30 or 40 years ago in the middle of a pandemic. I, I finally read the uh, Times article that Mitch sent me several weeks back about uh, how, you know, they were trying to make uh, the government was trying to procure uh, ventilators that could be purchased uh, much cheaper. And that eventually got botched, presumably because a bigger company that made more expensive ventilators uh, bought it out and essentially uh, shut it down uh, for the sake of profit. I mean, we are Wasn't living that private through, equity again. I I think it was well, you know, private equity might have been behind it, but I think it was just a larger uh, competing manufacturer. Uh, okay. But I could be wrong. I, uh, I you they only the, had so many details in the Times article. Let's see, what you, anybody have any idea what the what the headline, like what the uh, headline of that Times article was, or when it came out? I can pull it up. Actually, it's pretty. If I can figure out which mouse to use, actually, it might take me a moment. Yeah. Oh, but um, but yeah, because that was the thing of like one one of the um, one of the very initial. This is I think this is like early mid March when um, on one of the Bernie live streams it was like one of the very first ones that they ever did that was just straight like you know just training all you know volunteers about like intro uh, intro like COVID stuff and. The guy, the the host was doing basic t uh, testing. Yeah, I've got it here. It's the U.S. tried to build a new fleet of ventilators. The mission failed. Okay, yeah, That's, I did see uh, that. March yep. twenty nine. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yep. You. Um, but the on that one of those first like one of those first tra you know I almost want to say transitional um you know campaign live streams where um and again that's one of those things fuck. we need we, like i said they they need to you know i don't at, at this point i don't care who does it it's you know democratic party somebody you know people just biden folks or even people from the bernie campaign you need you know there's a reason why they did fireside chats almost every goddamn night you need to be you need to have someone on the fucking screen every goddamn night um or at least you know on they need they need people on the air like every day just you know just be on the air be on the air be, be on there talk to doctors be on there talk to nurses be on the air do whatever and like you know kind of push something else but you just need something there something needs to fill that gap or fill that vacuum because otherwise it's just going to be either idiot governors well there's a couple of governors who aren't so much idiots and there's more than a few governors who are or the fucking president just going to you know doing like daily um you know daily uh, pr uh pressers that are garbage anyway yeah i heard, I heard uh, andrew cuomo is uh is a pretty good uh guy maybe we should i think i think we're saying we should make him uh the nominee now right yeah <laughs> it's one of those things of like this is where yeah, it's I'm ready to make him dictator for life yeah yeah why not this is what happens when you have like just well-paid just absolute just like idiotic trust fund like you know the, when, when all like media types and journalists are just like you know the most thin-skinned clueless like rich kid trust funder like who just you know who you know they, they said that you're just freaking out about thing and like they need you know it's you know at some point they're just defining the defining the slur shit lib um like whatever it's like you know the, and not just to mention just the complete aestheticization of politics but whatever it's like all right this guy is you know he's performing the role of what he you know of of what a strong leader capital s capital l uh should be so anyway 
But um, oh god, what the hell topic was I was? What was I trying to talk about? Hey, Jeremy, before you get onto it, I have to duck out, fellas. Yeah. I'm I'm bummed to say it because I'm enjoying this immensely, but uh, I have to go. I'm afraid. No, that's fine. It's we've been going for yeah. quite a while. This has been a hell of a conversation, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd happily extend it on a future date if you guys are if that's not too depressing for y'all, but. Uh, no pressure, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've got nothing but time. I mean, time doesn't exist. Oh, I just realized. No, the, the, but real quick, yeah. The the point I wanted to make was one of those one of the one of the doctors on those first like COVID focused uh, Bernie volunteer streams was just saying that was it over 120 rural hospitals had been shut, bought and shuttered in the last 10 years alone. Yeah, yeah, something so, like yeah. half of the counties in the country do not have uh, ICU units. Yeah, so in. Uh, um, it's working great. Yeah. All See right. What the well, free market can do. All right. Well, uh, I guess we might as well just wrap the. Uh, do we want? Should we wrap these things up for the evening? Yeah, yeah. I have to. Well, yeah, Gary, you have to. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I want to thank you all for uh, being a part of the fun tonight. Um, um, Eric, Mitch, and uh, Garrett. I guess if there's, is there anything, uh, any like final words or anything you should, you want to tell people to check out, or they should go, they should uh, like final words or something they should go, uh, they should go check out if they wanted more information or stuff they should look for. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna plug my friend Nathan Tankus. Um, uh, he's got a Substack right now that is probably the best analysis on the Federal Reserve. How do you spell? How, that how do you spell that? Anywhere. How do you spell that? Um, Nathan, like like you'd expect to spell it, and then Tankus, like T-A-N-K-U-S. Okay. Um, the, the guy is a tour de force when it comes to understanding what the Federal Reserve is up to, and I know of no better source. So. Awesome. Cool. Uh, Eric, you have anything? Yeah, uh, Nathan's been great. Uh, he's been writing a, a lot lately, and it's uh, it's all good stuff. I don't I don't have anything in particular to plug, but I guess I don't know maybe to try to end on something of a of a more optimistic note. I I think you know four years ago uh, I was saying you know the mask is off now with with the uh, election of Trump, uh, and that turned out to be kind of naive because looking at what we're doing now. The mask is even more off. I guess there's multiple masks. Uh, so even though I, it's it's hard to even see a, a way forward, but I think that if 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 the people look at what's happening and, and pay attention to what's happening, they're going to see things that they would not have otherwise ever been exposed to about kind of the actual power structure. Uh, and and all of its facets uh, that that goes on in this country that is that is recreated on a daily basis yeah. uh, in this country. So I I do think as as uh, dire as things kind of always seem that this is an opportunity to to see things a different way, uh, see things how they really are, uh, and. Um, you know, to, to participate in a more informed way than than would have been possible without this. That said, another four years, maybe another mask comes off and it's literally Cthulhu or something. Uh, <laughs> in which case, you know, fuck it. Fuck it. I don't think we're going to be that. Uh, yeah, we're not going to be that. You know, the world the world ending. We won't be that lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a I have a suggestion for a little tiny book I just read uh, called. 
paying ourselves to save the planet. It was written by a, an MMT enthusiast, and it'll give anyone who doesn't know anything about MMT a really basic understanding of how it worked. Uh, I, I it didn't teach me anything that I didn't know, but it was nice to see it all in one little easy to read spot, uh, and 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 just having it sort of sewn together was a big help for me. That's cool. Excellent. And it, and I think that MMT really could be if if people can get to where they understand it. It's not that hard to understand, uh, at least in in the the basic broad point. You can really start to see how it's something potentially very liberatory for for regular people. And if you can convince people about that, I think that there's a lot of potential there. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I have uh, <laughs> I got nothing new to recommend yet at the moment other than uh, th- thanks for everybody tuning in if you, again for everybody out there we do have a Patreon if you want to help us uh, even as little as like a dollar a month helps us uh, cover like hosting costs it's like patreon.com slash Patreon.com slash giving the mic. Uh, any uh, any tips, questions, uh, comments, whatever, please email them to giving the mic at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. So I wanna, again, thank you guys for uh, for spending a, a good part of a Saturday night and talk about stuff. This was uh, it was a lot of fun. I have it's going to take me forever to edit, but that's never stopped me before. So try to do try to do something like this again. So. All right. Yeah. Stay safe. Have a good night, y'all. Good night. All right. And we're out. In this picture, we have seen a few of the 120,000 projects that are embraced by the works program. Each of these projects has been planned to meet a real need in the community which it serves, to take care of the unemployed, as well as to confer real and lasting benefits on the people of the United States is the object of the WPA. Under this program, work pays America. Thank you.